0: The Whole Health Cure with Dr.
1: Sharon Burquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Burquist, the board-certified internal medicine physician, associate professor at Emory University, and a lifestyle medicine, healthy aging, and prevention expert. Each week on this podcast, we have in-depth science-based conversations with renowned researchers and pioneers in nutrition, exercise, stress, resilience, mindfulness, and connection for optimizing health and longevity. All the information you need for achieving whole health naturally. Let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Amber Orman, who's a double board certified radiation oncologist and lifestyle medicine specialist focusing on breast cancer treatment and prevention. She is the chief wellness officer of Advent health medical group. She's also the co-founder of the HEAL that's healthy eating and active lifestyle program at Advent health in Orlando, Florida. HEAL is an eight week lifestyle medicine program designed to educate and inspire cancer patients to make positive changes to decrease cancer recurrence and improve overall health span. She's a mother to three teenagers and two poodles wife to a witty nephrologist, and spends her free time, um, and I imagine there's little of it, trail running, lifting, rowing, cycling, and summiting Colorado's peaks. Amber, thank you so much for joining. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's quite an honor. Yeah, and, and as background, you know, I started this podcast with the intent of sharing with our listeners the power of a lot of simple lifestyle tools to help whatever health condition they're facing and their challenges and learning maybe different ways to approach their care um, to really supplement um, and in sometimes, you know, even in a more powerful ways than what they're currently receiving. So I'm so excited to apply those tools to our conversation today around cancer management and empowering people on what they can do to have better outcomes less recurrence. I'm going to start by asking you kind of a a kind of high level um, question and then um, we'll unpack it some more as we get into, but how effective or is lifestyle effective in the management outcomes and or recurrence for cancer? And that's a huge question, but just kind of big putting it out there. um, Where does it all fit?
1: No, that's a great question. So, you know, Typically, I'm only talking about breast cancer, but when we're talking about all cancers, we estimate that we could prevent about 40% of them, just prevent the diagnosis in general, uh, with healthy lifestyle, healthy nutrition. And when we're talking about individual cancers, the numbers vary, uh, but a lot of that I think is due to just having more data in certain areas. And so Breast cancer is very, very common, and so we have a lot of data in the area of breast cancer. For men, prostate cancer is very common, and so we have a decent amount of data there. Uh, But in general, we might be able to prevent almost half uh, of cancers, and this is World Health Organization estimate. So uh, they do
0: their homework over there. That is such a staggering statistic, right? Um, as much as, you know, we all fear the big C and just how much we can control in those outcomes is just so staggering. Um, I want to start with asking, you know, your path, you know, certainly most of us have had careers that are, are non-linear. So give us a little bit of background about the work that you do in, in breast cancer and in this space of lifestyle medicine.
1: Well, my pathway to making it here really started when I was in my undergraduate engineering training. (laughs) And so I was at a private engineering school even before medical school. So I'm glutton for punishment. Um, And I was really fascinated by the fact that the meat in the cafeteria didn't taste like the meat I was eating at home. And at home, we had cows roaming around on pastures, and we would just have one butchered every year, and that was, you know, the source of our meat. And so I thought a cow is a cow is a cow, and how could all of this be so different here on the college campus? And so I started studying nutrition as a result of that. And um, just really geeked out, and I've been down the rabbit hole ever since. Um, but as I was learning, you know I'm going through a stressful undergraduate curriculum and figuring out, oh, I can really optimize my performance and my sleep and my energy, my study habits with my nutrition. And so they used to call me the salad lady or the salad girl or something on campus because I was always like, you know, taking care of the salad bar. And so I, you know, gradually learned that the more plants I used to fuel my body, the better I feel and the better I perform in all areas of my life. And, and so that really was my introduction and, it just grew along the way and so i enter into medical school and i'm astounded that there's no nutrition education included in the first couple of years and so i continue studying in tandem uh, uh, with my with my coursework and make it out into the clinical rotations in the last couple of years of medical school figuring finally somebody will say something about nutrition (laughs) 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 And there was still seemed to be no mention of nutrition. And we were just working on, you know, band-aids for problems, but not really the cause of most of our chronic health conditions, which we understand now. Um, And that led to, in my medical residency, a study of uh, functional medicine, Uh, with a heavy uh, nutrition focus with a group at the University of Miami, and so it was just a bunch of doctors, and we would meet on the weekends in a classroom and go through curriculum and attend conferences, and so I was using this to build my, you know, my toolbox, and then I got out to my first job. I was at Moffitt Cancer Center in uh, Tampa, Florida, specializing in breast cancer, and I brought all of this with me, And so with my patients there, I was talking about your food and your movement and your sleep and your stress and what mindfulness practices do you have and do you have good people in your life? And, you know, are you drinking too much or bringing all of these things into their medical care and figured out the patients really, really like this. And so I started thinking about, well, I'm having to see quite a few patients and this is taking quite a bit of time and how can I do this on a larger scale? And so I started to build what later became the HEAL breast program, which is bringing patients together so that they have all of this education, but they have the added benefit of this built-in resource in each other because they're all having a similar experience and they develop community and friendships that then continue well beyond their graduation from the HEAL program. And so that's primarily how I use this education now. And somewhere in there, I got board certified in lifestyle medicine as well. Um, and so that's really the kind of where I found my home was, you know, once I moved beyond the study of functional medicine. I found lifestyle medicine and it just really resonated with me. I'm, I'm a person that um, doesn't like to go to the doctor and I want to cure and prevent everything with my food and my lifestyle and lifestyle medicine is just that using your lifestyle to treat, prevent, and reverse disease. And so that's been kind of where I settled and what my, what I use as my foundation for this type of care with my patients.
0: Yeah, um, I, I hear you. That completely resonates. I think a lot of us um, who incorporate it, certainly incorporate it in our own lives and seeing the benefit in ourselves, it's hard not to want to share that and sing it from the rooftops to help everybody um, that we work with and take care of. Um, I want to get a little bit more into the specifics. So for people listening to this, who either want to prevent their risk, and we can talk specific to breast cancer, if they want to prevent their risk, um, I want to first ask you some questions around that, and and maybe there's some elements of the HEAL program that you could share with us, if that's, uh, something that you can do, and then, um, and I also then want to ask the same question around recurrence um, and for people who are facing or battling cancer in their survivors, um, what can they do? Because I know the first thing my patients typically feel they want to do when they get a new diagnosis of cancer is what can they do, right? Um, you know, a lot do suddenly make healthier choices, but knowing what to do, what's really making a difference, or how can they make a difference in a very um, structured and maybe guided way um, would be fabulous. So, um, So yeah, maybe we can talk first about the prevention piece. Yeah, so
1: I'd say that the data we have now really shows you get a little bit more bang for your buck if you're doing this from the beginning. And so it's a little more effective at preventing the first diagnoses when we're talking about breast cancer, um, rather than the recurrence. However, the benefit is still quite large. And so it depends on what study you're looking at. You know, when we're talking about the data, we always have to know we're comparing what to what, because we can show about anything that we want to, especially in the nutrition literature. Um, but I'd say in general, the more plants you eat, the better. And when we're looking at kind of plant predominant dietary, you know, lifestyles, you're going to be able to prevent, you know, anywhere from 30, 40, 50, 60% of breast cancers, depending on, you know, where you are along the spectrum of a plant based lifestyle. And so um, it's, that's what I try to tell my patients don't get into the weeds on this, just eat more plants. And then when you bring in the other aspects, you know, the physical activity, which is very powerful, when we're talking about preventing breast cancer, you get a big benefit from that. And so one particularly large study shows we could maybe prevent 40% of breast cancers in physically active women. Okay. And so if we're getting you know, preventing about half by eating plants and having some, you know, other healthy habits and 40% from just the exercise alone. Those are good numbers. I don't know what what the whole, you know, combination of it would equal. We don't have really that study yet. But uh, when we look at how many healthy behaviors do you pile on and what's the bang for the buck, it seems to just keep coming. And so, you know, when we're talking about not getting a breast cancer in the first place. Eat more plants. Get your thirty minutes of cardiovascular exercise every day. Two or three days of strength training a week. And the thing that my I find that my patients um, struggle the most with, and I shouldn't say my patients, I'd say probably all of us, is that stress, sleep, mindfulness, peace. And those are more difficult. Those aren't as operational as, you know, eating and doing something. And so I spend a lot of time with my patients talking about that aspect. And it's very difficult to quantify, you know, how much stress does it take to cause a breast cancer 20 years from now? And all we can really say is that stressful life events seem to be correlated with an increased risk of breast cancer later in life which you would reason to think that if you're under intense stress and your body is very inflamed as a result, maybe you're making poor choices in your life and it has this sort of ripple effect and you find yourself in a bit of a downward spiral with your stress as a potential trigger. Um, and so there's many ways that that could go down, but you know, I think that's, that's a really important component that I hope that we gather more data on is what is the effect of stress? both presently and in the past and how can we better arm everybody with tools to deal with stress in a different way, to view stress in a different way, because we can't remove stress from our lives. That's impossible, but we can certainly reframe and, and use that stress, the energy that we're putting towards recognizing that as a stress in other ways, and so that's, that's a big area for opportunity. Um, I'd say, you know, the other thing that my patients, um, that we underestimate the power of I think is sleep, and that's another area where we don't have very satisfying data. Um, we do have some studies showing that melatonin might be, might have tumor suppressing activity And so if you are a person that has your phone or your computer or your TV or any light very near you while you're, you know, attempting to go to sleep, like many of us are guilty of how many people have their phone in bed at night, I'll say that I've done that. Um, That's going to prevent your brain from making melatonin. And if we're not making the melatonin we need at the time we need, we're not sleeping well, and our cortisol and melatonin cycle becomes, you know, all disrupted. And this disrupts the rest of our life and the rest of our day. And so if, you know, we're not getting those restorative benefits of sleep by cycling through the stages of sleep appropriately, that has many downstream effects. And so those are some of the harder things to, I think to correct is the stress piece and the sleep piece, and I'd say lastly, we I don't think have um, a uh, a good enough appreciation for the role of alcohol in cancer, and I find you know a lot of my patients still believe that um, the glass of wine a day is good for their heart health. Um, But it is a class one carcinogen. And we have to, you know, remind our patients of that, that this is an inflammatory substance and any amount of alcohol raises your risk of breast cancer. And so those are the big areas that that we really focus in on hitting, you know, the pillars of lifestyle medicine when we're talking about primary prevention. And then when you talk about preventing recurrence, it's the same things and so but we have to bring in our conventional treatments and so i kind of view this as you know the lifestyle got out of hand and your immune system was distracted and it wasn't able you know to take care of the cancer we ended up growing a cancer in the body so we've got to come in and deal with this with whatever it is chemo surgery radiation But then what can we do to clean up the environment in your body so that your body becomes the cancer-fighting machine that it really wants to be? And so it's optimizing your body and your immune system's ability to take care of little cancer cells that are floating around in our bodies from time to time. And so we bring in the same tools. And, you know, I try to remind my patients, um, you know, you get you get what you put into this. And so if you have maybe some diabetes and some high blood pressure and some pounds to lose and high cholesterol, in addition to this breast cancer, then maybe we take a more therapeutic approach with our, our nutrition plan. And we're eating mostly if not all plants and trying to reduce you know, uh, fats and, and we're really kind of extreme, if you will, with the diet, but if things are okay and you're just hoping to, you know, prevent the breast cancer of the future, but you're not really reversing a bunch of conditions, maybe you settle somewhere in the middle and you're having fish once in a while. You know, my patients often say, can I eat X, Y, Z, can I eat chicken? Can I eat fish? And I think you have to settle on something that's feasible for your life and for your goals with your health. And so the tools are really the same before and after uh, a diagnosis, but it has to be tailored to your life and to your goals and, you know, to your, your situation. What is your family doing? What are they eating? You know, how... What do you have to do to make this all work and so that's the beauty of it there's not a one-size-fits-all solution uh for these things it's
0: very tailored yeah and um mechanistically so i'm a bit of a science uh, nerd if you will um how much do we know about the link between these habits and how they're affecting risk and Um, recurrence of cancer. You mentioned melatonin um, has some tumor suppressing activity. Um, Clearly there's an impact on the immune system. Um, But what do we know about the mechanistic links um, that tie together the lifestyle and the cancer? I think we have a lot to
1: learn there. I think that um, when you look at all of the research, I think that one of the true keys lies in the gut microbiome. And so if we're bringing in more fiber into our diets, which is only found in plants, we are reshaping our gut microbiome in a positive way. We know that the gut microbiome is tied directly to the function of our immune system and the level of inflammation in our body. And I believe that that is, you know, wherein lies the answer. Now, the individual molecules and substances, I I don't know. I don't think we have the answer there. But I think that, you know, overall, it's optimizing the function of your immune system and lowering inflammation. And your gut microbiome is very key in that entire process. And so we feed it plants. We stop stressing out we sleep well, we get physical activity. All of these things have a positive effect on your gut microbiome. And then we see this, you know, rather than a cascade of negative things, we see everything start to fall into place. And so oftentimes, you know, we'll have a patient who's having difficulty eating certain vegetables or fruits, as I'm sure you've seen in your patients. And so, you know, we have tricks to help them change their gut microbiome so that it is actually able to accept those foods by kind of easing into it, you know? And so, um, but I think, I think that's, what's at the root of all of this is we're positively affecting the gut microbiome and therefore supporting the immune system in its cancer surveillance, you know, um, uh, job, you know, we need those natural killer cells to be robust, to go out and gobble up the cancer cells, and so I think that it's, the answer somewhere in there, but somebody a lot smarter than me will figure that out
0: someday. Well, I think this is all just really um, such helpful information, and you just mentioned natural killer cells, and earlier you said that,
1: you know, if we
0: clean up the environment in our body... Um, that our bodies can be the cancer-fighting machines that they are. And I I love that, so I'm quoting it right back to you. Um, Can you talk more about, I mean, that's really profound, right? This ability that we innately have to fight cancer, Um, how our body does it, and how we can support our body to continue fighting cancer.
1: Well, it's, it's just in that. I mean, that's the simplest way that I can explain it is, you know, if we um, don't fuel and treat our bodies in a way that, you know, get out of our own way and let them do what they do, then we end up with problems. And so I think that's, you know, we've got to get back to the point where we truly do believe that every time we put something in our mouth, that's either going to be, you know, a positive or a negative effect on our body. And how many negative blows can you take? What's your capacity for another glass of wine or another bag of Doritos? You know, what's your reserve to deal with that? And so this is kind of how I think of it. You know, if we have everything in check, you're eating your plants, you're moving your body, your stress response is in check and you're sleeping well, can you have a glass of wine once in a while? And will everything be okay? Yeah, probably, you know, I'm not advocating for drinking wine, it causes cancer. <laughs> but It's just an example, you know, and it's a conversation that I have from, with my patients all the time. And, you know, I, I think that it's all so individual, you have to find what is your system that allows you to still live your life in a way that you don't feel permanently deprived, but you're still bringing in these healthy behaviors. And, you know, in the way that we reach that point is, you know, different for everybody, because we all have different cultures and habits and relationships with all of the things that we do and eat and you know my mother did it this way and you know so a lot of times we'll find cancer running in a family right and we won't find any genetic mutation in that family and i always remind them well your lifestyle runs in your family too you're all living in a very similar way you grew up together and now we see this cancer kind of clustering. And uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing when you combine that with the fact that maybe 5 to 10% of breast cancers are truly genetic. And even those that are genetic are modifiable with our lifestyle. If you have the big bad BRCA gene, that does not mean that you will get breast cancer. You certainly have an increased risk of it. But we found patients in there, you know, I just had one the other day. She was 70 years old, has a breast cancer, and she gets genetic testing, and she has the BRCA gene. It's the first time she's had a cancer, but this is, you know, this is the BRCA gene. This is the one that we all associate with breast cancer. But she had lived a very healthy lifestyle. So when many BRCA positive patients will show up with a cancer in their sometimes 20s, 30s, 40s, she was 70 when it happened and I said you know tell me about your life. yeah, she basically follows it sounds like a Mediterranean type diet, always got a lot of activity, had a lot of positive people in her life, you know slept well, didn't seem to be stressed at all even with this cancer. you know and so it's kind of that you know um, it's like the blue zone type of lifestyle, you know, and they live longer than the rest of us because they have this all in check. And so how can we get our patients to that point, even though they didn't, they haven't lived like that for their entire life? And I think that's, that's the beautiful thing that we're able to do. And, and that's the greatest service, I think, that we can
0: provide for our patients. Uh, I completely agree. You know, it's so analogous um, to a lot of the things, you know, I see in internal medicine where in family histories we'll see diabetes, we'll see heart disease. And a lot of people obviously then worry that if it's been in their family, their risk is higher. And as you mentioned, a lot of culture runs in families, food preferences, um, you know, types of foods, how active people are, how they cope with stress. And, you know, it's really just profound how impactful those lifestyle changes are regardless of family history, um, be it for a metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, cancer disease, um, and and how empowering it is that regardless, right, that we each can make such a difference in the outcome. Right, yeah. right. And I think the, the goal,
1: I like, I love lifestyle medicine because it's contagious in a good way, Yeah, you know, and so you want that patient to go home and share with their family and their friends and their neighbors so that you're creating the movement and it's spreading to other people. And I think, you know, many people are looking for this right now. We as a world have been through a very difficult time and we still are in a very difficult time and i don't think that we're equipped to be going through what we are and so this is the time for lifestyle medicine to come in and and help us all we all need a little bit of this in some way shape or form and we have never arrived i am always working on what can i improve next um because
0: it's uh it's a lifelong thing oh absolutely I want to ask you one other question about recurrence. Um, you know, the same lifestyle tools apply, as you mentioned, to prevention and recurrence. And when you were talking about prevention, um, you were mentioning, you know, for example, plant, plant predominant lifestyles can reduce risk by 30 to 60 percent, um, depending on the starting point of a person. Do you? Are there? data around efficacy of lifestyle for recurrence, whether it's specific to breast cancer or cancer in general?
1: Yes, yes, there are. Um, And it basically shows that, you know, you're going to reduce your risk of recurrence anywhere from 30, 40 percent. Okay, that's the range the numbers are in. So they're just a tick lower than preventing the actual cancer in the first place. But those are huge numbers (laughs) those are big numbers and it's so so worth it and so so powerful to do this there's one study actually showed you could reduce your risk of death by half half in breast cancer survivors who are eating uh five fruits and vegetables a day and moving their bodies 30 minutes a day five days a week you know and so we do have data to show that this is so so effective and that's why. If you go on, the American Institute of Cancer Research is such a great resource. They have their 10 cancer prevention recommendations. This is the third version of them that they have put out. And you'll see that almost all of them involve plant-predominant nutrition, and they center around you know physical activity and healthy body weight. And then there's a little thing at the bottom that says, by the way, if you've been diagnosed with a cancer, follow these recommendations as well. And so they're highlighting, okay, to prevent it in the first place or to prevent it from coming back, this is what we need to do. And their recommendations, of course, perfectly align with everything that lifestyle medicine is about.
0: Yeah. And and that resource again, where is that available?
1: AICR, American Institute of Cancer Research.
0: And... And for people who want to learn more about the HEAL program, I know you only offer it in Florida. Is there more information they can learn about it, whether they're local um, or or is there anything for people who aren't local?
1: Yes. So um, for people who are in Florida, that's where my medical license is, and so we welcome for you to participate. Um, there is a website, adventhealthcancerinstitute.com backslash healbreast. But if you just Googled healbreast, Amber Orman, you'd find it too. Um, and so there's more information there. And we are thinking about how can we expand this to other people, because we do get quite a bit of uh, inquiry from outside the state of Florida. And uh, so that's Coming in the future. So stay tuned for that. But yes, you can certainly find more information on the
0: website. That's wonderful. Um, With the time we have left, Amber, is there anything you want to share um, that we haven't had a chance to talk about?
1: Well, I would just like to thank you again for having me and for the work that you do with your patients. And it's always nice to connect with another uh, physician in this space. I think that. Um, whatever type of patient we're seeing, this is the type of medicine that makes a truly uh, a lifelong difference in the life of that patient and their family. And I'll tell you that it is um, certainly what has kept me passionate about and engaged in my work as a physician, Um, when we are, you know, under constraints and being pulled in all different directions, sitting down, you know, to speak to one or a group of patients about this is so fulfilling for both the provider and the patient. And so if you're listening and you haven't had a visit with a lifestyle medicine physician, then find your nearest lifestyle medicine
0: physician because we love you and we have so much to share with you. Uh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for the work that you do. I think um, this merging of lifestyle as being so powerful against probably the disease that people fear the most, cancer, um, is something that we don't say enough. And I don't think we can say it enough times. So thank you for the work that you do to give people the path and the support to, to make that happen in their lives. It's a pleasure and an honor. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory
1: Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.